So, but don't hold off doing something that you feel, you know, passionate about and leave the outcome up to the universe, God, whomever, and, and just do your part and hope that it lands in somebody's heart in a positive way. Welcome to Zestful Aging, where I talk with fascinating, talented, and inspiring guests who reflect on the adventures and challenges of aging and who are living their lives with vibrance and purpose. I'm your host, Nicole Christina, psychotherapist, writer, and fellow Zestful Ager. I want to invite you to my free webinar, Zestful Aging, Here's How You Do It. You can sign up at NicoleChristina.com. Last week, we spoke with Pearlie Ann Friedman, who is a woman from Ottawa, Canada, who decided very early on she wanted to retire to an exotic island, and she has indeed. She lives part-time on a small remote island in Thailand. That's a great interview. And next week, we're going to be speaking with James Barraz, who's the author of Awakening Joy, among other books. He's also the co-founder of the Spirit Rock Meditation Center in Northern California. Well, I have my Jack Russell Terrier Sparky right beside me and my coffee in my hand. So let's begin. Today we're speaking with Irene Francis Olson, who's the author of Requiem for the Status Quo, a fictional account that doesn't hold any punches when it comes to describing the toll Alzheimer's takes on families. Irene spent a year trying to get her book published, suffering more than 100 rejections in the process. The book she wrote to honor her father was finally published when Irene was 63 years old. She's on the management team of All's Authors, a community of authors sharing their stories to light the way for others. Welcome to the show, Irene. It's really wonderful to be here. I'm so glad I was invited. Oh, great. Would you start with the title, Requiem for the Status Quo? Tell us a little bit about the title and how it came to be. Well, um, this novel, even though it's novel, which is, of course, fiction, it definitely chronicles my caregiving journey with my father. Uh, my father was diagnosed with Alzheimer's um, several years, well, he, he died in 2007, but about four to five years prior to that, uh, he had been diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. And as in any caregiving journey, in my case, it was an Alzheimer's caregiving journey, you're looking for same-o, same-o. A, <laughs> a lot of times people are thinking, oh, I don't want same-o, same-o, I want... Uh, something different. Well, when you're a caregiver for such an for someone who has such an unpredictable disease, you are truly looking for status quo. I want to go back to whatever status quo means or used to mean to me. And so, um, and usually for me anyway, status quo would mean there's nothing, there's no new emergency. Oh, there's see. no urgency. There's nothing super duper new in the way my father is behaving or how his disease has taken a left turn or a right turn or an about face. 
So for the caregiver, they're just looking for normalcy. And of course, they found a new normalcy, whether you're caring for someone with dementia or cancer or whatever that might be, you're looking for normalcy. And so throughout my novel, which again, loosely reflects my caregiving journey, uh, Colleen, who's the protagonist, who one might say is also myself, mm-hmm. um, is is just looking to have a normal day with no flare-ups or anything mm. like that. And so, so what you'll see in the novel is that uh, there are very various instances where she's saying, I just want to return to status quo. So Requiem, if you're thinking along the lines of Mozart or, you know, conductors or composers like that, excuse me, um, Requiem is kind of like a memorial to the status quo. I see. Because saying goodbye to saying all that goodbye was predictable. That. All that was predictable. It's 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 a requiem. It's a memorial to status quo, which most people maybe complained about until they didn't have it anymore. Mm-hmm. You just want to go do your life, go to the grocery store, make some supper, do the basics without being thrown some kind of monkey wrench. That's very true. Very true. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, the interesting thing, and I think any writers listening will understand this, as you mentioned in the intro, you know, you as a writer, uh, you why would you write? Well, you want to write maybe to get published, whether that publication is a book book or on a blog or whatever the case may be. And it was an extraordinary journey. Um, And as a matter of fact, uh, (laughs) Nicole, I was ready to stop querying, approaching agents or publishers. I was on the verge of giving up Mm-hmm. And then I received an email from an indie publisher saying, we like what you have. And mm-hmm. I mean, holy moly, <laughs> mm-hmm. that's an amazing email to wake up to and to see that somebody actually wants my book. Because what what, What's that experience like? I mean, we've heard it a million times, you know, with J.K. Rowling. I listened, oh, to, I I yeah. listened to Seth Godin. He said one of his books was rejected eight times hundred times. So how do you I mean, this is a deeply personal story. You're not talking about some sci fi thing that's not part of your soul. How do you how do you deal with that? Well, I celebrate it. And um, it was too bad that it was the morning because you know, I was drinking coffee instead of something else I'd like to celebrate with. But um, (laughs) It's, it's remarkable. It's actually, well, I guess remarkable and unbelievable are almost the same thing. You, you can't believe what you just read. Someone is finally going to let me honor my father's journey and my journey with him uh, through the published word, whether ebook or, or paperback. And, you know, the thing with... Uh, the thing with the subject matter for my novel, um, Lisa Genova, who of course wrote the fantabulous uh, novel um, Still Alice, she was rejected numerous, numerous, numerous times, and she self-published, mm-hmm. and because people didn't like the subject matter. Ah, 
it's not something we want to deal with. It's not something, uh, it, well, it is something that unfortunately and unrightly so that people are ashamed of. You know, when you get cancer or you get ALS or uh, various sundry other severe diseases, you're not ashamed, you hate it. Uh, those around you are feeling for you with the disease, but when you get but you're not ashamed of your malady, whereas with um, with Alzheimer's or other dementias, there's a stigma around it. And one of the things that, as you mentioned in the intro, that all authors wants to do is to educate and lift, educate people so that we can lift the stigma and shame mm -hmm. of Alzheimer's. You know, my father didn't do something to deserve. Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. Why uh, is that? What's your understanding of the stigma? Because you and I both know, uh, if we already haven't dealt with it, we're going to deal with it or somebody or we know, right. you know, I just interviewed, um, a physician who who also wrote a book, Tia Powell, and she talked about, you know, this is going to be our our generation's challenge. It and is it's all yeah. around. Why is there still a stigma? Well, and I think this is just my own thoughts. I'm not a medical professional, but I think, um, you know, when you think of mental illness, that is just now becoming more of a mainstream conversational topic, whereas mm -hmm. mental illness or mental disease before was something we were ashamed of. I'm not going to talk about my depression or bipolar or mm -hmm. whatever it might be. Well, Alzheimer's and other dementias, personally, I wouldn't qualify as a mental disease or a mental illness, but I think people assume others will think, oh, they're they've got something wrong in their brain and and they're um they have they're some not sort trying of, hard enough they're not they're not trying hard enough or if they just focused uh, uh they'd be able to remember that name or whatever the case may be um so i think i think part of it is is that you know when you forget someone's name 30 seconds after they've said it to you and i'm guilty of that and i as far as i know i i don't have Alzheimer's, but you, you, you're embarrassed and you're embarrassed because kind of, Nicole, your essence is your brain power. Mm -hmm. And yes, you're, you can't survive without your heart, but you can't survive without your brain because your brain makes your heart function, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And so if there's something wrong with your brain, that's to me more the essence of the body's biology because nothing's going to work very well if the brain stops working properly. So, and you know, my father, as what happens also in my, in my novel, um, is that when he was very cognizant of the fact that he had Alzheimer's, um, it's a fearful thing. Mm -hmm. oh, and you can sure. feel it, you can feel your uh, abilities or um, your memories slipping away. And one of the things that um, one of the primary caregivers for my father said to me was, eventually he will become blissfully unaware mm -hmm. 
-hmm. And he won't know that he has dementia anymore. And so you want that to be the case because you don't want that person to struggle so much with what they're currently experiencing and what they know they're going to experience. But on the other hand, once that person gets to that place, they're getting further and further away from you. And so you want that person to be blissfully unaware, but once they are blissfully unaware, they're getting further and further away from their, in my case, dadness. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that makes sense. So it's this paradox where you still want him to be your dad, but you don't want him to be so aware and so cognizant that he can recognize, wow, um, you know, things are not working the way they're supposed to. Right. And I, and my understanding from, you know, I, I continue to read up on everything and anything having to do with dementia is that, you know, a severe depression <clears throat> can settle into the patient because it just think about it. I mean, you're going to be depressed and you're going to be upset regardless of what major malady you get. Um, and as a person who has recently been diagnosed with Alzheimer's or other dementia, um, they're going to dive deep into depression. And so being able to lift that veil um, is a real challenge for family caregivers and even professional caregivers. It becomes more complicated because, of course, depression also has an effect on our brain and memory. And memory, sure. Sure. That's very true. Hey, Zestfilagers. Last year, I attended the International Federation on Aging's Global Conference in Toronto, and they've announced the 15th Global Conference on Aging for Niagara Falls, Ontario, from November 1st through 3rd, 2020. Zestful Aging Podcast is a proud partner for this conference, and I encourage you to all consider attending. The conference features prominent experts presenting and discussing critical issues within the field of aging. So head on over to ifa2020.org to learn more, and I hope to see you in Niagara Falls in November. What's it like to write a book like this, even though it's fictional, that's so close to your heart? Well, this is this is interesting because, you know, of course, like many people um, who journal during um, difficult experiences or great experiences, I got all my journals out and I didn't start to write until five years after my father's death. And, you know, I got all these journals out and I thought, you know, I want to write to honor my father, but I also want to help others because if I can somehow, even ever so slightly, lift the burden of others, Mm -hmm. then this journey will have some sort of benefit and and will be a positive, if you want to call it, experience. Mm -hmm. So I, Nicole, my first draft of my book I wanted to include everything didn't want to leave everything out anything out mm-hmm. it was a hundred and forty thousand words now in book speak if you want to call it a hundred and forty thousand word book is the size of 
James Michener novel or Stephen King or Ken Follett. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know who I thought I was that I should include all of that in there. Well, I finally, <laughs> I finally realized I don't have to include everything. I just have to include what will make a difference for somebody else. I see. And so I sliced and diced and killed characters and, you know, the whole works. But I have to tell you, um, when I had decided I was going to write a book, it was in November of, oh, I guess it was November 2012. And I decided, I told a friend, I finally spoke my my goal. And, you know, once you speak a goal, now you're going to be you know responsible for it Mm. and told her that I was going to write a novel based on my experiences but I said you know I'm going to wait till next year we're in the holidays now and I'm just going to wait until sometime after the first of 2013. So Nicole I wrote I woke up on December 29th and at the time I was subscribing to a newspaper and my horoscope for that day made me change my mind as to when I would start writing my book. And I'm going to read it to you so that you and your listeners uh, can can get an aha or a, oh my goodness. <laughs> okay. So this is what it said. Okay, I'd already decided I'm waiting until after the 1st of 2013. Right. Okay, here it is. Now's the perfect, now it's perfect to start a new writing project. <laughs> No need to wait until next year. Put down your thoughts without worrying about form, one word at a time. Well, you think I would wait until January first? Oh, goodness no. gracious! So, so, I, and I read that to my husband, and he, there's not an, an essence or an element of woo woo in him at all. But in right. me, there's there's a certain amount of woo woo in it in me. Right. And when when I read that to him, he said, um, "So you're starting today, right?" <laughs> You can't ignore that when it's meant for you. Right. So, you know, it it was, in answer to your previous question, it was, I don't know that I received closure in writing about my experience, but I think choosing the fiction genre helped me to maybe disassociate a little bit mm-hmm. from yeah, it. I could see that. Yep. You know, I was able to disassociate. Be a little distance, yeah. Just, yeah, just a little bit because it was Colleen and Patrick in the book, not Irene and Dawn. So, um, you know, it, but, but it was an enjoyable experience. But I'm telling you, I knew nothing about writing fiction because up until that point I had spent years and still am um, writing for my blog which is babyboomersandmore.com but it's really called living the ultimate team sport because living has to be a team sport you can't do it on your own but all of that was nonfiction so I had never written fiction in my life, dialogue, all the rules involved in writing fiction. So, you know, the first version of my novel was really quite bad. And thank goodness, you know, my pride level isn't so high that I wouldn't give it to beta readers to try it on in their own um, living room and read it. And because of that, I think it's a lot better now. I know it's a lot better novel than it was the very first version. So, so you got a group of people together, and were they 
did you have friendships with them or were they just people that you respected for um, both ah you're brave well i know and because and but but those who were friends or even related to me i said i want you to be cruel um i'll still love you if you criticize this work because i want to honor my father i want to honor dad so um the more critical you are the better but even when you say that, it's still harder to receive criticism mm. that, than it is to say that you don't mind receiving criticism. But it was so helpful. And I gave it to uh, a PhD uh, who um, does research on Alzheimer's. I sent it to the Alzheimer's Association. I wanted to make sure that what I was saying at the moment that the book would be published was accurate. Ah. because I don't want to lead anyone astray. And they all said, yeah, this is accurate. As a matter of fact, the PhD, the doctor that I um, gave my book to, and then I sat down later to receive his critique, he said to me, and this really helped, he said, you're not making it, you're not portraying it as bad as it is. You need to portray it more truthfully. And I said, boy, does that help? Of course, it meant a major edit, but but that's important because I don't want a sugarcoat of disease that can't be Mm sugarcoated. So um, that was so, so very helpful to me because, but with that said, however, yes, I made it, I took away the sugarcoating. It's... It's raw, but it's also very palatable because I want people to be able to to digest the book, learn something from it, Mm. and be encouraged by it without it being too much. I see. So you're helping them. It sounds like you're... you were very conscious of making it readable and that people could tolerate the pain of it and right. the, the ugliness that you could keep them reading, that you you structured it so, okay, I know this is really hard, but there's enough in it, maybe enough joy, enough relationship that you want to stick with it. That's fascinating. So you were very conscious of keeping them engaged, even though there's parts that are so... So difficult to, yeah, yeah, very difficult to read about and even more difficult to experience. And some of the reviews, there was one review that I received thus far And um, she said, I really tried to like this book, but I'm currently going through this, so I'm going to have to read it later. Mm -hmm. But then, and that was the only, if you want to call it negative, review that I received, because all the others were saying, oh my gosh, this sounds just like my experience. Mm -hmm. Or it sounds like my my co-worker's experience. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it made me feel pleased that it was real enough but also soft enough to get people to continue to want to finish the book and it 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 really I mean I injected humor and let me tell you Alzheimer's disease is is one of the least humorous diseases Mm. out there but you have to inject humor because in every situation whether it's cancer 
Alzheimer's, whatever the situation may be, mm. there's always humor lurking around the corner if you just turn the corner and find it. Has that always been your philosophy, Irene, or did that develop when things got so bleak that that was something that was a survival technique? I think for myself and maybe others who have experienced or are experiencing the same thing, it is kind of a survival um, technique. And one of the things that, well, I always write uh, in when I'm doing book signings is I say, remember to celebrate even the smallest of victories that come your way. So I'm looking for, if someone is just looking for the big stuff that happens, they're going to... Um, miss all the small stuff that happens. Mm -hmm. So I can celebrate a small victory of, wow, when dad and I went on a picnic, I didn't have to take him into the men's room. <laughs> uh -huh. You know, versus, you know, a big celebration. So I'm going to always celebrate the small things. And so that's where humor comes in as well, is that I've got to find the humor in it. Well, you're also living in a state of gratitude. Oh, absolutely. You have to, because I still, you know, at the time, I still had my father. And he he didn't, you know, one of the things for which I'm very grateful, Nicole, is that he didn't forget who I was in his life until a month before he died. Okay. And he had been admitted into a hospital for prostate cancer, because he had that as well towards the end. And I'm visit, visiting him in the hospital, and he turned to me and he, and he said, Jim, mm -hmm. um, I have things to do. And I thought, Jim, wow, he's never called me Jim. And, but I didn't, I only stumbled a little bit in my emotions, and I thought, well, my hair is extremely short. <laughs> and so I'll take Jim any day. Because he wasn't freaked out by who are you, why are you here? It right. was an it was a very enjoyable time, and even though he called me Jim, it doesn't matter. I'm still his daughter, and you find this in my novel as well, where uh, one of the characters, uh, Victoria, her husband forgets who she is. George is his name, and there's where the humor comes in. And I'm just not even going to tell you what that's all about, but you've got to read it. To, it's just hilarious. But um, so Victoria's husband forgets who she is, and she ends up at her, her regular monthly support group meeting. And one of the other older people in the group, um, Mary, says to her, because Victoria says, you know what's really difficult? I'm no longer his wife. Mm -hmm. and, and, and Mary said, you are his wife. He loves you. If he could tell you that, he would tell you that. You are still his wife. Your identity as his wife, your marriage of 60 plus years didn't end just because he forgot your name uh -huh. or forgot that you're married. Uh -huh. And that's what everybody who is in this, um, on this Alzheimer's journey is going to experience is, is the loss of identity, the loss of your role in a person's life. It's going to happen. I mean, I, I can't imagine, I don't know statistics, but I can't imagine that it won't happen to just about everybody. But that doesn't mean I was no longer my father's daughter. Hmm. I was still his daughter, but for some reason he called me Jim. Okay, let's laugh about it. So you have to be a little flexible, I guess. Extraordinarily uh. flexible. 
How important you mention support groups. Um, yeah. How important are support groups for people going through this? I have to say it's so very important because even though intellectually the family caregiver will say the family care caregiver knows they're not alone. They know that in their head, but in their heart, they don't know that. And you know how they talk about the distance between the brain and the heart, you know, it's like miles and miles wide. So I can know intellectually I'm not alone, but in my heart, I'm feeling alone. So when you go to a support group, whether it's provided by the Alzheimer's Association, which I highly recommend, of course, because they kind of have the, the franchise on that, or a <laughs> okay. church group or whatever mm -hmm. it might be, or even having coffee <laughs> with someone, mm -hmm. um, just so that you hear other people's stories or you, you get um, confirmation. Mm -hmm. that you're not alone and you hear caregiving tips from others mm -hmm. because I mean you go to a group and you say you know I, I can't get them to settle down at night and so someone else will say well this is what I did I can't guarantee it'll work for you have you tried this no I haven't mm -hmm. so now Victoria let's say is going to go home and try that so that her husband settles down at night I mean it's just you kind of, you don't kind of, you, you join this community of like experienced caregivers mm -hmm. and you're better off as a result. And some people, even after their loved one has died, will continue to go to the meetings until they finally realize I don't need it anymore. Are you still in touch with the people who supported you through your father's illness? Well, of course, my family. I am. Um, he. I am for some of the some of the people. Yes, I am. And because once my father died, I wanted to know how other people were doing. He eventually ended up in memory care, and I wanted to know how. Let's just throw a name out there. Mabel was doing, and so I kept. Uh, visiting the facilities website and they would always highlight a, a, a resident and such or they would post so-and-so has now passed and so I felt I needed to have that ongoing connection to the people that my father was connected to and then once many months had passed there were no longer any people's names that I recognized and mm. so I kind of stepped back from that and for my own well-being I guess it was a good good thing to do that but but I think what's important and you know you talked with your zestful aging is for me this added zest and zoom to my life because I was able to do something with one of the worst times in my life that later on in life I was able to use my experiences, write a book, continue with my blog, um, and hopefully help others. Because if you can't, for me, if I can't bring light into somebody else's day through their experiences, um, then I'm feeling like maybe I didn't do my part with that very difficult um, time in my life. Not everybody can do this. I mean, there's a lot of people who just say, look, I, I don't even want to have anything to do with dementia, Alzheimer's, et cetera, because it was just the worst time in my life. And mm -hmm. I honor that. I honor that story for them. Yeah. 
I really do. For me, this is how I, you know, got my yayas out and <laughs> was able to um, put to it process put, it. Yeah, to process it more and and um, realize that yes, that happened then, but it can also continue forth in my legacy when I leave, whenever that might be. So, um, you know, my father, I know, would say, good job, that's what you should have done because this was really a cruddy time in our lives, but look at you, you're doing something with it and maybe, just maybe, somebody else is benefiting from it. Mm-hmm. Which we know is a really important part of aging well is the feeling of giving to others, even when we may never see the result. Exactly. Oh, I'm so glad you said that because a lot of times I think people hold off doing things because they don't ever see the outcome. Well, if I smile at, it, at, at someone who's bagging my groceries and then go and get in my car and go home, I don't see that just because I smiled at her and actually called her by name, that may have made her day. Mm-hmm. I walked away and got in my car, but that might have made her or his day. We don't always see the outcome. And I know because this book is being read worldwide, there's no possible way I'm going to see how this might or might not have benefited others. So, but don't hold off doing something that you feel you know, passionate about and leave the outcome up to the universe, God, whomever, and, and just do your part and hope that it lands in somebody's heart in a positive way. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's such excellent advice is to, to do it, to do the work, and then to let it go. Let it go. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't have any control of, of um, how much, you know, how widespread this book may influence, mm-hmm. be of influence to others, but that shouldn't stop me from doing it. Mm-hmm. Shouldn't stop me from doing it. So what what's next for you, Irene? What other projects are coming up for you? Well, I have one and a half books written. And um, even though additional books written, even though um, neither of those are uh, dementia centric, I will never write any book that doesn't have that storyline. Because as you mentioned at the beginning of our interview of the interview, it's so widespread. There's 55 million people globally with this disease. So to not talk about it just seems irregular. It just doesn't mm-hmm. seem appropriate. So I've got those going. And, and of course, I'm also, I'm on the management team of Alls Authors. And the website is allsalzauthors.com. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's extending the influence from my book in so many other greater ways. I thought I was done advocating um, uh, for those um, touched by this disease. I thought I was done advocating once I wrote my book and sent it out there, but now I think I've just begun. (laughs) Wow, it's a new phase for you. It, It is a new phase. And, you know, at 65 years of age now, um, you know, my I think emotionally and um, spiritually, and by spiritually I don't necessarily mean religiously, 
you know, emotionally and spiritually, I feel like I'm on fire and, mm -hmm. and I'm in such a positive space. I'm just waiting for my body to catch up. <laughs> my body says, I thought you were retired. Ah. <laughs> no, not yet. I'll be retired when, when you, when you attend my memorial service, that's when uh -huh. I'll be retired. <laughs> I love that. You're just switching into a new gear and doing things that are, are really close to your heart. Um, but doing them in all different kinds of ways now. Yeah. Managerial, how do you say it? Managerially? Yes, managerially. <laughs> yeah. More yeah. maybe administrative, more intellectual, mm -hmm. but not, uh, not as much as putting your actual story into words. Right, and I think, you know, it, it's prioritizing what's important in life because all of us have to-do lists that'll probably never get to done. And, and so you have to prioritize what's important. Oh, there's the ducks. Sorry, I'm seeing two ducks walking in my yard. Um, uh, prioritizing what's important to you yep. oh, and boy. spending the time on those versus things just that just distract you. Yeah, I call it radical prioritizing. Oh, because, yes. You know, we know we have more life behind us than in front of us. Time is short. Let's pare it down. Is this, you know, is swiping through Facebook really how I want to be spending my time that I'm never going to get back again? And oh, and you won't ever get it back. You know, you mm -hmm. just won't get it back. Time is the most valuable resource we have. Mm -hmm. And if you could ask those who no longer have time, they would say, yes, you, yeah. you, you've got to pay attention to the time you have because it's going to be gone before you know it. You know, they always say, well, we never know if tomorrow will ever come. Well, let's forget about tomorrow. What about the next minute? Mm -hmm. The next minute may not come. So I better utilize that minute. Um, before that, um, adequately and passionately. What a great message. Um, thank you so much, Irene, for telling us your story and, and, and talking to us. Where can people find out more about you and your writing and your your inspiration? Well, my author website is my full name, and it's Irene, I-R-E-N-E, Francis, F-R-A-N-C-E-S-O-L-S-O-N.com, IreneFrancisOlson.com. That's my author website. And, of course, as I mentioned earlier, I have my blog, which is called BabyBoomersAndMore.com. So they can find all about how I tick. Ah. Uh, in, in those two, uh, on those two websites. Okay, and it's babyboomersandmore.com? Yes, and okay. it's, it's not an ampersand, but it's spelled out and, babyboomersandmore.com. Oh, okay. Initially, then go ahead. I was just going to say, and then there's allsauthors.com. Yes, allsauthors, A-L-Z-A-U-T-H-O-R-S.com, where you'll meet at this time, at this broadcast, over 200 authors mm -hmm. that are in our um, community of all's authors. Mm -hmm. Some of which I've been speaking with on the podcast. Have. Yes. You're a lovely group. Well, Irene, thank you so much for spending this time with me. Uh, it sounds like you have really... Um, Oh, you're, you are zestfully aging. And I'm doing my best. Uh, 
Thank you again. And thank you very much for, for interviewing me. I sincerely appreciate it and it's been a joy. Thank you so much for joining us on Zestful Aging. If you like the podcast, please share with some of your friends. I love to hear from my listeners. Send me an email at nicolechristina.com. Next week, we're going to be speaking with James Barraz, who's the author of Awakening Joy, among other books. He's also the co-founder of the Spirit Rock Meditation Center in Northern California. It's a beautiful interview, and I hope you'll join us. Well, in addition to speaking with amazing guests on the podcast, I've been putting together the final touches on the web course I've created with Carrie Luteran, who's a designer and professional organizer. It's called Too Much Stuff, and it's all about making space for zestful aging. Because it's hard to create your new identity when you're tripping over decades of clutter. Our course goes beyond separating things into piles because if it were that easy, you would have done it already. We look at why our clutter can paralyze us and how easy it is to feel overwhelmed by the whole process. I offer ways to help you manage some of the strong emotions that could come up and Carrie gives you practical tools to help you organize your clutter. Look for it. Too much stuff. See you next time for another episode of Zestful Aging.